Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We are streaming live at those times uh, at uh, richarddugan.com, and we also podcast these programs. I call these broadcast podcasts, uh, and they're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, a uh, bunch of other places as well, Blueberry. Uh, trying to think of some of the others, but uh, we're also having people who are linking us at other places. They're reposting these interviews uh, at other places, and I want to thank those who are doing that. That's uh, very kind of you to do. I, I can't find them all, so... If you're sharing them with other people, please, please do so. I'm getting some kind uh, comments from folks who uh, are really enjoying the programs and our guests. And I know that you're going to enjoy our guest here on the program today. It's been a while since she has been on the program. I'll tell you how long ago it was uh, here a little bit later. But uh, we're going to introduce her right away here. Her name is Cindy Dale. She has a book out uh, that we're going to talk about and... Uh, uh, Llewellyn's, I believe this is pronounced correct, uh, Llewellyn's Little Book of Empathy. And uh, Cindy Dale, thank you so much for rejoining us again after so much time. I know, Richard. I know. I think, I hope we still have the same dogs. I think we must at least have that. I so. don't know. I, <laughs> no, I, I, maybe I, I, not. Well, yeah. um, I had uh, my my beautiful white uh, shepherd uh, husky yes, mix, Makushla. Uh, she has been gone for a year and a half. And uh, my wife's uh, beautiful uh, shepherd chow mix, Connor, has been gone for seven, is it seven? Seven and a half, almost seven and a half years. Uh, but we do have a dog, and he is the king, and his name is Angus. He's a big black king shepherd. He's about 120 pounds, and he sleeps on the bed with us. <laughs> well, he takes the bed. He certainly does. He takes the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. But it is fantastic to get a chance to talk to you again. Uh, but I'm going to have to ask that uh, you help our listeners who are hearing you for the first time. Um, I would love to have you share a little bit about yourself. Now, your website, I believe, is still the same. It's CindyDale.com. Is that correct? It is, and it's spelled funny, C-Y-N-D-I, cindydale.com. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So tell us about, uh, since the last time we chatted, uh, tell us about how things have progressed for you. We're going to talk about empathy because uh, even if there was no virus circling the globe, we would still need a shot of this. We would. And I think empathy is maybe even a higher purpose to lift from the virus, the pandemic, you know, because we're one people, we're one globe, and the virus is proving that. So to care what other people are going through, to let them care about us, you know, I think that is what it's about. So since we've last talked, I just keep writing books. I've written about 27 books right now. Um, and a couple of them have been on empathy. This current little book of empathy is a really nice little book. I've also written a 1,200-page book on chakras. So that one, you know, kind of can be a book stopper, uh, door stopper, whatever it is that you mm -hmm. want it to be. Um, but I continue to work with uh, clients and teach classes and 
Uh, my oldest son now has his own home in, in the Washington, D.C. area, and my younger one is 21, and he's a baseball pitcher. He's a great college pitcher. He's actually getting um, some uh, looks from the scouts this year. Even though the games are over for the year, he, they're starting to contact him. So I go to a lot of baseball is what I really do, Richard. Wow, fantastic. I, I have to say that uh, it's uh, my favorite sport. It doesn't matter who's playing. I love watching the game and, and uh, playing the armchair manager, uh, as well as enjoying the strategy of both the offense and defense. And uh, uh, I think that maybe um, empathy probably is, uh, is a good strategy for people to, to consider because I, I feel, and I'd love for you to expound on this thought of mine, that there are three or four things that really go together. Uh, empathy, forgiveness, um, gratitude. Uh, I, I just kind of feel like when you have all of that going for you, um, yeah. you're going to live, I think, you're going to live a healthier life. You will, and you'll be happier. You might have different types of happiness, maybe contentment or care or compassion. It might not always be bliss because, and I love those three virtues. To me, they're virtues. To me, empathy is like how most people discusses it, discuss it. It's that ability to sense what another is going through. And we can have empathy for an animal, for a plant, uh, for a person, for somebody we've met, for somebody we haven't met, and we would like them to have the same for us. When we have empathy, guess what? We're better able to forgive, aren't we? We're able to hold that other being as dear, even if we find ourselves offended by them, because we can have a sense of where they're coming from. You know, and gratitude, I think that's what's supposed to make the world go wrong. We're so lucky to be alive. We're so lucky, even in challenging times, don't you think, Richard, to actually be here to taste, to feel, to have a body that can know what's going on. Um, the, the, for me, what I typically see the biggest challenge with empathy because of the types of clients I work with, I do energy and intuitive work, is sometimes people believe they're over-empathic. They just feel too much or sense too much of what's going on with others instead of themselves. Mm. You know, that's, that's interesting because my wife is an empath, uh, and for the longest time, even to this day, she still struggles, but at least now. When she starts going, oh, my God, I feel this way or that way or the other way. She doesn't come to me and say, what's wrong with me? She begins to now understand, oh, it's not me. It's the people right. around me. And that's one of the keys is, it's, well, back in the Greek times, uh, the quote from Apollo, you know, was know thyself. So we do need to know, hey, this is me, this is mine, this is not mine. We can still have empathy or compassion for the other if they're going through challenges or deep feelings or physical pain, but we can't heal an issue or a feeling or a physical sensation that's not our own. All we can do is register it and send care. Um, but, but, you know, from an energetic perspective, some of we empaths, we really almost like take the issue into us. We let it become ours instead of allowing it to stay outside of our energy field, outside of ourselves, where we can, you know, get a sense of it. We can care about it. We can speak to it, but we don't have to think that we're the ones who have to deal with it. So I've had to work on that most of my life. 
Yeah, it's uh, I, I, I would venture that most people are empathic. However, they haven't exercised it to the point where they can really uh, use it, so to speak. And it's almost along the same lines, if you will, of um, uh, listening to that still small voice, which is still kind of it's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Oh, it is. We just we just haven't turned up that sense. With very few exceptions, people are born empathic. We're hard wired for empathy. Our nerves work that way. Our energy fields work that way. Um, they've even shown that people are able to sense a few seconds to a few minutes, you know, kind of before some event happens, they they pick up on it. And their body responses, their heart rate responses, their blood pressure responses, etc. So we're hardwired to know, to feel, to sense, to get, you know, sort of knowledge about what's happening in others or what's happening around us. But I think that there's just an awful lot of noise these days. I think, oh, yeah. you know, oh my gosh, there's TV, there's, you know, emails, there's internet, there's 5G, there's everybody has a need. I mean, we're just constantly barraged. So, you know, I'm in the baby boomer, the kind of the early end, you know, the tail end of the baby boomer generation. And we had a lot more quiet. So, I was actually expected to be empathic. I didn't have to turn off this and turn off that and undial this and, you know, kind of stop being a cyborg, you know, in order yeah. to get a sense of what somebody was saying or feeling or going through. Uh, but but even for me, there's just a lot of noise right now. There's a lot of demands. And I think that, you know, it's hard to stay trained or to stay open or to become trained sometimes these days to just having that open heart that can sense what somebody else is going through. When and how did you realize that you were empathic? That's a great question. I was empathic as a child. I did not have that word. And so I was very intuitive in a number of ways because em empathy is, all, is an intuitive sense, you know, an energy ability, you know, as well as sort of a virtue. Um, and so I could see pictures in my head of things that were going to happen. I could see colors coming off of people. You know, when my mom was red, I knew she was going to get mad. When my dad was bright yellow coming home from work, he had a good day. When he was sort of a brown yellow, he was probably going to drink because he didn't have a good day. Um, I could hear spirits, but I also sensed in my body what other people were going through, maybe what was motivating them, if they were lying or not, if they had a physical pain, what they were feeling. And I just most of the time didn't always know that it wasn't my own. Like I could go, I think my mom's really angry, but then she wouldn't look angry. So I was like, well, is she angry? I don't have anything to be angry about. So to me, it was often confusing. Um, and I started getting it labeled that this was probably other people's issues, feelings, sensations. Mm -hmm. When I started going to therapy when I was about 19 or 20 and a therapist looked at me, which I think was very wise of her and said, you know, that's probably not your fear or that's probably not your this or that. And 
I was able to turn from that point on the ability, you know, instead of just being a sponge, I was able to keep some of that outside of me and use it the way we're supposed to very constructively to like, just know what people are going through. What are, what are their motivations? What what's happening in their physical body? And so I got it labeled when I was about 19 or 20 and that's helped me, you know, it just indescribably. How are, how has, how has it helped you to um, get through, uh, you know, uh, uh, some of the challenges that you've had to face in your life? Uh, and have there been times maybe when it has let you down, it, it didn't do what you thought it was going to do? Oh, that's a great question. Um I think the only time it's let me down is when, for instance, um, my youngest son's father has, you know, he, we all have our struggles. All right. And through my empathy, I was able to often feel what he was really feeling, you know, that he was uh, sad or scared, not angry, but it, I thought it let me down because I felt what was really going on with him, but then he would still be angry and say, well, I'm not sad or I'm not scared. So it wasn't like my empathy let me down. My brain let me down. <laughs> I was, you know, I had that, that dis dissonance between what my gut knew was going on with him versus what he would say or admit to. And every so often with clients that happens too, where I'll be like, you know, I think you're really sad. You, I just feel like crying. And I'll say to them, I feel like crying. I think you're sad. And they'll go, no, I'm not. I'm just fine. But now I know that there's probably sadness, but it's not, if it's, if they don't want to talk about it, it's not my business. I can just stay with it and just keep going with the the session, you know, and we can just leave it there because it's not mine to pick up. It's theirs to figure out if they want to own or not. Mm. Um, I have a very particular use of empathy that I think is kind of humorous um, that has actually helped my baseball playing son. He doesn't have me do this anymore. Um, but his first year of pitching in college, he would get really nervous before he was going to do a bullpen, before he was going to pitch. And I wasn't there. It was in fall. I'm home. He's at school. And so he would call me and say, you know, mom, would you just hold my fear while I get through this? And I would hold his fear. And Richard, I would hold his fear. I would be like, my stomach would be ground up. I'd be shaking. I mean, I would hold his fear and he would go through the pitching and do a good job. So one Sunday I had a client come in, a good friend of mine who had just been diagnosed with third stage cancer. And I'm like, I've got to fit her in. I had her come in. I spent two hours with her and I set the fear aside during those two hours because I needed to work with my client. I needed to get the images. I needed to get healing, you know, kind of information and energies for her. And my son's fear was just sort of in my way. So I worked with her from 10 to noon and at about five minutes to noon, I'm, um, you know, I'm getting all these texts and I, you know, let the client out and I look at him and, it, and my son Gabe is like, mom, I'm pitching in like half an hour. You gave me the fear back. I'm like in terror. Will you please take it back? <laughs> wow. So it's real energy. <laughs> you know, and now he's sort of in, you know, he's good. He's got his own confidence and I could even ask him, Hey, you know, 
if there's like scouts at the game or something, I would even ask them, do you want me to hold the fear? And he's going, mom, I'm fine. I'm like a guy. I can handle it. <laughs> mm, wow. Well, you know, it's amazing sometimes how we, uh, you know, how we do that. But at the same time, I'm wondering, have you begun the process of training your son to hold his own fear? Yes. And he does do it now. Okay, good. Because mom <laughs> isn't always going to be it. there. Mom's got Mom's yes. going to be off doing other things as well. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yep. And he won't. He won't let me take it now. Even if I were to try to help him, he's like, "No, I've got it." He understands now that it gives him energy, that it actually, you know, gets him perked up. And like, as long as he manages it and manages the energy in his body, that fear can be turned into excitement. It can be turned into power. And it can be turned into rage, not bad rage, but the rage is like, you know, hey, I'm going to get this batter down. So there isn't a bad feeling. And I feel like that's really important for empathic people to understand that if somebody's sad and you're feeling some of it with them and you're being compassionate, that's okay that they're sad or it's okay that they're angry or it's okay that they're scared or it's okay that they're happy. So um, you know, and it's not just feelings. We can actually have empathy with other people's physical conditions. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working on the phone with a client, most of my work is virtual. Way before the virus, you know, the pandemic, my my work has been virtual. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll, I'll have never met a client. Obviously, I'm not looking at them. I don't do video. And I'll just go, hey, what's going on with your shoulder? And they'll go, why? And I'll go, well, your right shoulder hurts because I can feel it. Or I'll go, I think you're getting a cold. And they'll go, no, I don't think so. Maybe a week later, they're like, yeah, I got that cold. Like, I've been down with that cold. <laughs> Oops. So, yeah. So, you know, we can do this empathy stuff physically, emotionally, even mentally, getting a sense of where somebody's coming from. Or spiritually, spiritual empathy, Richard, I think is sometimes the hardest to describe because it's when we just know something. I mean, I'm sure you've had that sense. Like, I just know this person hates their job. I just know they're supposed to be in a different field. I just know they're lying. Or I just know what they're saying is about, you know, somebody else, not them or them, not somebody else. So that kind of consciousness is also a form of empathy. Mm. One of the aspects that we work on uh, on this program has to do with raising the consciousness of the planet of almost. And again, I don't want to uh, get too far afield here, but the bottom line is that we want to change the world. We want to change the world for the better. Now, some might say, well, are you saying that the world is bad? I said, well, you know what? It's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. Uh, you know, this is a beautiful place. I mean, I, I happen to live in what they call paradise. Um, <laughs> uh, at least that's what they say. Although when the fires roll through or whatever is happening out here, right. it's like, eh, it's not paradise to me. Uh, I'm not having fun. But uh, the, the reality is that it ain't a bad place all in all. Uh, people are experiencing things around the world now. Uh, that they haven't seen probably for decades. And we're talking, for example, one gal in Italy saw clear waters in the Venice canals with fish. And they're seeing dolphins uh, off the coast again. And there are parts, other parts of the world, other cities, that uh, the smog, 
the dirty air is lifting or is it's the dust, the dust is settling. And it's like, okay, this virus, we do not know where it came from, whether it was created by man or by Mother Earth, uh, is showing us some beautiful things we need to be aware of in order to sustain our home. I totally agree. And you speak of consciousness. And I like that you're saying it's almost like we don't want to change the world. We want to let it be what it is underneath. We want to strip away the artifice and obviously the pollution and the violence and just say, you know what, what and who are we? And can we act that way in concert with the earth and all the beings on this planet? You know, the Hopis talk about uh, that there was a first age in their creation story. And at that time, the plants and the animals preceded us, and they were given from the creator knowledge that we don't have. And we're supposed to learn from them. They're our teachers. And, yeah, you know, we're not doing a very good job all the time. And so perhaps in the wake of, in the middle of, and in the wake of this virus, we can say, you know, there's a natural order and things go wrong when we get out of the natural order, which is why illness starts. It's why we get, you know, kind of huge fires in Australia um, because they planted bamboo, (laughs) you know, years ago instead of allowing the natural foliage to be there. So perhaps we can wake up and understand there's consequences to being out of the natural order but holding the consciousness of the natural order is a good thing. Well, and if we go right back to empathy, isn't that what helps us care enough to to know if we've, you know, kind of if we're out of sorts, if something else is out of sorts, if we need to care, you know, enough about somebody or something to support them? I mean, empathy to me seems to be a tool in figuring out what's in the natural order and what's not and getting it there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more from that standpoint. It's it's one of those things that um, it's not that hard to figure out. And I've said this many, 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 many times before. Nature should be, can be, and I think is our greatest teacher. There is no greater teacher than the earth to show us how we can sustain ourselves in the physical realm, mind you, here on this planet. Your thoughts? Exactly. And I just had a discussion about this actually earlier today with a client of mine. We were talking about how so many spiritual systems, you know, have the heavens above and the earth below, like the tree of life. And you have to climb back up this tree, you know, to reach the heavens again because we're in a fallen state. We're not. This is not a fallen place. This is a beautiful space. Nature is its own form of heaven. The same energy, consciousness, spirit, goodness, whatever love that we want to talk about is in some sort of, you know, ethereal realm is right here within physical cells, within each plant, within each hope, within each thought. And 
you know, we just get in trouble when we get out of the natural order. You know, everything has kind of an original signature, you know, a way that it's the healthiest. It's got a code, a set of codes. Trees have a code and they have a great code because they talk to each other. You know, a person has their own individual code, but personhood, you know, kind of in general, humanity has a code. And if we stay close to that code, if we eat by that code, raise our kids, you know, with the codes that best suit them, um, you know, grow plants with that code, figure out a better way to do factories, you know, via that code of what's healthy versus not for all, we're not going to have any problems here. We're just so far away from the natural code. It, guess what? It's going to take viruses and challenges and um tsunamis and which can happen anyway um but we're not going to pick up on them because we're so out of out of sync with nature that in indigenous populations and times we would sense a disaster and move away we'd follow the birds when they fly to the trees because there's going to be a flood um but we're just we're just not very dialed in we're not empathic to each other very often or often enough much less this earth and the the energies on it yeah, absolutely. And and I just, uh, you know, I mean, I where I live, I talk about where I live all the time in terms of living uh, in the in the wilderness of Santa Barbara up on the hill above it and uh, the experiences of nature. And it's just remarkable. I mean, here we are the middle near. We're actually past the middle of March 2020, the year of perfect vision, I might add. And there's still snow on the, on the hills in the backcountry. Now, we're not talking about the Sierras here, okay? There is still snow. It's, it's late, mid-March, and there's still snow. And there's snow on the hills of the backcountry where we live in the Los Padres National Forest. Extraordinary. Absolutely and utterly extraordinary. We're talking with Cindy Dale. She has a, a new uh, book out. It's called Llewellyn's. Little Book of Empathy, and we encourage you to get a copy. You want to join best-selling author and intuitive counselor Cindy Dale as she shares dozens of simple exercises and quick tips for developing, developing folks, empathetic, empathic skills. And this little book has uh, got genuine techniques, support, mutual exchange of love and nurturance, and uh, to help renew emotional health, physical vitality, passion for life, and the ability to receive spiritual guidance. And empathy is a profound gift. Within these pages, you will learn to use it all. And we encourage you to get a copy. Go to CindyDale.com. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. You know what I'm going to say. We'll be right back. Tell me your stories And we are back here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, along with Cindy Dale. Oh, by the way, that's Cindy Dale, spelled uh, C-Y-N-D-I. You know, uh, Cindy, you, you might want to consider um, working on your dyslexia and putting the I and the Y where they're supposed to be. <laughs> you know, I would rather be dyslexic. You, you know, sometimes you, it's good to see the world inside out, don't you think? <laughs> And you know I'm kidding. Uh, Cindy Dale, D-A-L-I. Uh, CindyDale.com is the website. And uh, am I pronouncing this correctly? Llewellyn's? It's Llewellyn. Llewellyn. Okay. It's Llewellyn. Well, I messed it up. You know what? 
you can still find it no matter how you say that it. That is true. It's with uh it's with four L's, folks. There are four L you you you're really taking liberties here with our language. I want you to know that. Uh double L E U W E and then double L Y N S, and that's an apostrophe S, little book of empathy. Uh, by the way, that's a, uh, one of those pet peeves of mine when people use uh, somebody's name especially. I learned in English class that if somebody's name ends in an S, you don't add another S. You don't say Jameses or Jesuses. You put, <laughs> the, really you, you put the S, which is the last letter of their name, and an apostrophe. And it connotes, to use another word with a silent letter in it, uh, it it connotes um, possession, okay? It does. Don't it does. add another S. <laughs> Cindy Dale's is fine. Cindy, Cindy's is fine because it doesn't end in an S. Uh, anyway, that's enough of that. So let's uh, get back to uh, this uh, little book of empathy, uh, Llewellyn. Llewellyn, why? Who is Llewellyn? Llewellyn's a publishing firm. I'm in Minnesota, and and you talked before our break about you having snow. We hardly have any, and I'm in Minnesota. They're a great, they're a wonderful international publishing company here in Minnesota with um, publishers that distribute their work all over the world. So I'm very fortunate they're both in my backyard, and that they're such a great publishing company. You know, a big deal these days is Audible Books. And it seems to me this would be an appropriate little book for people to have. They could just put it on their uh, Audible or however they get them and and listen to one of these or two of these or four of these, whatever, uh, just to kind of really just kind of wash themselves a little bit while they're washing their hands, for example. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I could do a series of downloads, actually, while I'm singing allowed the book i could be washing my hands there you go or or cleaning surfaces absolutely i I might not do that part but i will consider doing an audible it's a very good idea absolutely well maybe you and i should have a little chat uh, following the program today uh, because that is one of the things that uh i do um let's do that is audibles that's great Yep, throw the, me an email. The Thanks, work, you, you are very welcome. These, these particular ideas, stories that you have in this book, uh, Llewellyn's Little Book of Empathy, um, how did that begin, begin to manifest? Well, they actually asked for the book. Llewellyn did. The publishing company did. Um I have written about empathy, typically, though, in the context of what are all the energetic abilities and what is energy, you know, kind of in a universal sense, what are energetic bodies, what are the different psychic senses or intuitive senses. And I'm so constantly talking about empathy as a form of intuition or an energy or a sense that they said, would you just write a book about that? Uh, Because I think their dedication is very much as is yours. Like, let's keep making this world a better place. Let's get people's hearts open. Let's let's have them understand that we're not alone here, that we share the world. We share the earth, you know, with others who are concrete, you know, three legged, four legged, two legged, you know, whatever it might be, you know, but that there's also invisible energies, you know, that are available to us. And so that's kind of where the idea of empathy came from. Um, But I've been teaching about empathy for decades, to be honest, Uh, because 
again, most of my clients find themselves over empathic. They're just got kind of a wash with other people's energies or feelings or illnesses. So we have to sort that out. And those people are very counterbalanced by those who seem more shut down empathically, you know, and who could just, you know, look at a friend and go, well, I don't know why that upset you. Okay. So your dog just died. Well, okay. Your dog died. So we have some conflict here <laughs> around, you know, the different sort of groups of empathic or non-empathic people where I think we all need to get on the same page and use it like a language. It's a language. It's mm -hmm. a communication device. Yeah. I find it interesting, though. I, I, my wife is, is, as I mentioned before, she is an empath. She is extremely intuitive as well, uh, which uh, for a while used to cause me uh, great consternation because um, <laughs> I'd be working away at something, doing a project, and she'd come up and say, you know, I think you ought to do it another way. <laughs> well... Again, you know, us guys, you know, we've got it figured out and we're we're on it and we can do this. And and there have been times when I didn't listen to her and, well, it didn't quite turn out right. And then I remember once when I, I, I started to trust my own intuition, I was uh, I was cutting down some trees that had died on the property where we live and I cut them up into firewood. And I brought one down and almost brought it down on the fence of the dog run. Dogs weren't in the run at the time, fortunately, and it missed by inches. Well, then there was, a, and so, and everything was okay. Nobody was hurt or anything. Uh, then there was another tree inside the dog run, and I'm going, okay, how am I going to bring this tree down without having it destroy the fence? You know, because we need the run. I put the ladder, around, and I've told this story many times, I put the ladder around the tree maybe 10 or 15 times, trying to find the right spot. I had the chainsaw on the ground over there, ready to go. I couldn't find the right spot. <laughs> so I left the ladder leaning up against the tree, put the, uh, the uh, chainsaw back in the shed, said, you know what, I'm going to come back at this tomorrow. The next day I went out there, moved the ladder into one spot, brought the tree uh, the, uh, down at the proper height and everything. All's good. And that was one of those times when I really listened uh, to, to what, what I was feeling on the inside uh, that, you know what, this tree will be here tomorrow and the next day and the next day if you don't cut it down. And it'll give you a chance to sort of recenter yourself and maybe get in touch with, uh, this may sound a little strange, but get in touch with the tree and how it wants to fall and where it wants to fall and where it wants you to cut it and so forth and so on. And I think that's kind of what happened. But a lot of us, we either are intimidated by others' intuition or, again, we haven't been trained to trust that still small voice. You do that. It's did the training. I totally agree because I know almost everybody, if not everybody, can look back and go, oh, if I had just listened to my gut or if I just figured out the meaning of the dream because it was telling me what I needed to know or if I had just, you know, listened to the small voice or sometimes we get loud voices. I was doing a paper route uh, a few years ago with my youngest son. They're uh, they're horrible. I don't, I don't like paper routes, especially <laughs> as an adult. We're paid, what, maybe $9 a week, and it's five hours worth of work. Mm. <laughs> and Right? So we're doing this paper route because he's learning uh, educational skills. And it's hot. Minnesota's hot, hot, hot in the summer. So we're delivering the papers. We each have a dog. We're on different sides of the street. We're going to cross over. And I hear a voice 
so loud, I could not not obey it. Mm -hmm. It just said, stop him. And I shouted to my son who's on the other street, right? Kind of he was going to walk into, um, you know, kind of like to cross a street. Mm -hmm. And I said, stop. And he did. And the dog stopped. He stopped. And this car came barreling across and it would have hit him. So, yeah. So sometimes we do get voices. I was just a few weeks ago in Hawaii for baseball, for college baseball. And I wasn't hearing voices. I didn't get any big visions because most of the time we don't get voices. We don't get visions. We just get senses. We just get empathic inner knowings like you did with your tree. And I was about to cross the light crossed and I was about to cross and all of a sudden I just got cold. I just, I just felt cold and I couldn't move. And I have no idea why I felt prompted to look to this gentleman to my right. And he was about to step into the street and I yanked him back. I shouted at him, stop. I yanked him back. I'm going, what the, you know, what am I doing? I'm feeling insane. And a limousine goes right in front of us. And if I hadn't gotten him out of the street and back on the curb, it would have gone over his feet. Mm. So there it is. We, you know, I could have just felt stupid Right. Mm. I could have stopped myself from feeling frozen or or given into the thought, what am I doing? But I didn't because that is training, because that's that sort of trust, I think, comes when we listen enough or we feel enough or we just go, well, even if it's crazy, I'm going to do it. I think we have to give ourselves permission to go, well, would I make this up? No. So I'll just do it. Or would I make up a dream like that? No. So I'll just believe it. So, I mean, I think we have to suspend this sort of shame cycle that we can easily get ourselves into and just go with it. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, am always intrigued by uh, certain situations that develop um, in our lives. And sometimes we're aware of it. Sometimes we are aware that we're being guided. We're being directed, if you will. Other times, of course, we're not, and, and I get that. Um, I still remember an experience, Cindy, when I was bicycling back in Phoenix to work, <clears throat> and I lived uh, five miles from the radio station, which was out in what we called the South 40. Back then, in the 80s, early 90s, it was out in the western part of the valley where there were still farm fields. Not anymore. Wow. <laughs> but they were still farm fields, and they were a mile square. And I came to this one intersection. Let's see. And actually, the streets were, uh, it was like this. It was the 35th, 43rd, uh, 51st, 67th, 75th Avenues. <clears throat> Every eight blocks, roughly. And um, I crossed, what was it? I think it was uh, 51st Avenue. And I got this prompting saying, at the next intersection, I want you to turn left, go up to the next corner, turn left, uh, turn I beg your pardon. Turn right, go up the next corner, turn left, then get to the next corner, a mile, turn left again. When you get to back to the street you were originally on, go ahead, turn right and continue on. <laughs> and I'm going, okay. And I go a half, and I, I ignored it. And I went one oh. half, I went one half mile down the road and the prompting would not go away. I turned around. Wow. I turned around. Good for you. Well, here's the thing. I turned around, I did the whole circumnavigation, got back on the road and got to the station and everything. And I'm going, what the hell was that all about? 
And to this day, uh, not that it troubles me or bothers me or anything, because, you know, uh, but I just, the only thing I could think of was that the question that I was being asked through that prompting was, do you really trust me? I mean, really, do you? Are you willing to just listen and follow? Uh, you know, I don't know, because a lot of times those kinds of things happen because you're going to avoid an accident or similar to what you had with your son uh, and so forth. Um, I Correct me if I'm wrong. I have the belief, rightly or wrongly, that the still small voice, that that intuition, it will not put you in harm's way. It might put you in challenging situations, but it will not put you in harm's way. You, you, I completely believe that 100 percent, because why would it harm us? There'd be no higher reason to harm us. We we might become challenged. You know, I had a vision that a, a very long experience in Peru, but it was a vision that basically said, when you're prompted, go follow because you're going to meet the man you need to marry. And, you know, six months later, I did do that. Well, we never really got along. Let's just say it that way. Mm -hmm. It was a hard relationship for both of us, but we have an amazing child and I got to do a lot more therapy on myself, (laughs) which, which is not a bad thing. (laughs) Well, and And here's, here's along great. Now we've been divorced 17, 18 years. And my son is constantly going, you guys, people think you're married. You get along so well. I'm going to get along so well because we're not married anymore. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, you know, and, and what's interesting about all of that, too, is that that um, maybe, and this is speculation, utter speculation on my part, maybe the whole purpose of that was to bring this child into this world who either has a specific task that they are here to carry out or they will join together with someone to create another. In other words, they're part of a lineage that the universe says we need this lineage because at this particular point in time, it could be 50 years or 100 years down the road, we are going to, this person is going to accomplish a great feat, what have you. You You know what I'm saying? I do. And I believe that I actually believe that for both my boys from two different marriages, one is older and he is making considerable inroads and has made considerable inroads in politics, actually. Um, You know, and then the second's my baseball guy. But you know what? It's not about baseball. He's got heart. He wants to help other young men who are late bloomers go for it. It's not really about baseball. It's about going for it, like Mm -hmm. believing in themselves. He even even brings other pitchers from the college team home. Sometimes I work with them. He has other coaches work with them to get them better. He doesn't compete. He's like, let's just let everybody get better here. So, and you know what? Who's to say what his child, you know, is supposed to be called to do? So we don't, and you really did make this point, Richard, anyway, we don't always know why we're being prompted through the voice, through the feeling, through the sense, through the dream, through the revelation. Through, we, don't, we don't always get an answer for it. It's not like everything's neat and tidy. And if we do the right thing, it's not like we're always rewarded either, right? right? It's like yeah. we've got to have an open-ended trust to go, well, 
I followed. So it's for the best, even if it's not proven. Yeah, uh, it, it brings up the 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 the, uh, uh, the phrase that I heard constantly through personal growth and development programs that I started going to back in the early 80s. The first one was LifeSpring. Uh, where you'd get to a certain point and you as the participant, you know, you're starting to question. You're starting to question. And the main question is why? Like the, like the two-year-old, why, why? Like the, I love the one commercial where this little kid is, he's with the, this, his, his father or his mother. No, uh, and, and, and she just continually is answering the question. And then, of course, the question comes back, why? I mean, eight or 10 or 12 different questions, right? Well, the phrase right. that they would share with us in these programs was give up the need to know why. And here's the reason why, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> if you know the reason why, how is that going to change who you are and where you are right now? Oh. Okay. It's like. All right, if you know the reason why your father used to beat you or your mother used to harass you or your brother used to do this or the bullies at school used to do that, how does that change who you are right now, now that you know why? Now, certainly there would be certain circumstances, I would think, where the answer would free someone this has happened more times than not, I'm sure, Cindy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you've been, you've been mm-hmm. carrying around this frustration, this anger, this angst for 20, 30, 40, 50 years maybe. And all of the sudden you find out that the reason why they did whatever it was that they did to you that has caused you to hold this, this thing, this, this millstone uh, inside of you for as long as it has uh is you know is now you get to release that talk to us a little bit about that will you yeah and we're really talking about you know kind of black white and the gray in between because i do believe that we just have to do the right thing or we just have to follow guidance or do where we're you know led um and there's no why most of the time given there's just no why given when I get guidance, I'm not told why I'm supposed to do this or that. I'm just supposed to do it. So I do it. And then sometimes I find out, you know, Hey, this is the result. And sometimes it's just like what we said, the cards are in the air and we don't even know if they would have fallen down different, but we did what we were supposed to do. Um, but there is, there can be through the growth of empathy. If we go back to empathy, you know, once we better understand, say our perpetrator, you know, or an abuser, you know, kind of their history and yeah. where they're coming from. It doesn't mean we we still have to do our own work. We still have to go, what have I done with what they've done? Am I hurting myself because of it? Have I turned around and I'm hurting other people because of what they did? That's the that's the where where the rubber meets the road is when we say, what am I doing with this? But the why can free us, you know, from feeling like we've been condemned or um, they picked us because there's something bad about us or wrong with us or this or that or the other thing. I I think it can release us, you know, from some of those shame bindings, Mm -hmm. you know, or like what kids do always is blame themselves because that's the only way they can get a sense of power. Like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. That's why my dad has beaten me or sexually abused me or whatever. And I have a lot of 
that in my client base. And so the kid says, well, it must be me because if it's me, then maybe I can do something different so it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, certainly getting that answer can make a, make a big difference. The other thing too, I find interesting and I realize uh, that uh, in movies and television, unless there's some level of drama and conflict, there's no movie or drama. There's no movie or uh, TV show. But I always find it fascinating, and I always use the example of the movie Batman versus Robin, uh, Batman versus Superman. I remember that movie. You remember yeah. that movie, and how it started and had something to do with one of their mothers, I seem to recall. Yes. And so it's almost, I, I don't know, maybe they were playing the dozens, and one of them got offended, and the fight was on. So the last 15 minutes of the movie, they're there fighting, and all of a sudden they, they, are, they stop, and they start talking. And they finally realize why they were fighting. And it turns out it wasn't even for the reason they thought. Because they didn't have all the information. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, you mean to tell me that we went through an hour and a half movie. And if they had just talked in the first 15 minutes, well, yes, the movie would have only been 15 minutes. And nobody would have watched it. Okay, fine. But it's like, we that seems to be... Like the, the, the scenario that's drummed into us. Okay, misunderstand what's being said. Uh, hold resentment and grudges and fight. And then 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you can resolve it. Right. And in the meantime, you get all this drama. I am so not about drama. Yeah, you and me be, both. Oh, God, I've quit drama. I don't even, I, I'm just so done with drama. Well, and we're seeing it playing out in the world. I mean, now we've got this. I've actually taught in China several times. And I have, there's good people there who I've connected with. And they're warm and they're friendly. And now I'm seeing because the virus so-called came out of there, which I don't really even know if that's true, um, you know, but all of a sudden there's this, you know, a certain group of people are like, well, yeah, China's bad or China's done this on to us on purpose. And it's sort of like, wait a minute, do you know any Chinese people in China? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, can we can we stop spinning stories? Mm. Can we start to just say, hey, you know, we're here together and this is what's happening and how can we help each other and what do we need to do? Can we close borders? Not because they're bad people over there, right? But mm -hmm. because this is going to take care of them and it's going to take care of us. But we can find a way, like you're saying, to talk. We can find a way to say, hey, what you're going through is really, really hard. And hey, what we're going through right now is really challenging. So what can we do? Yeah. It's not a complicated formula. No. No, to it's change not. This, it's not no. hard. Not, not at all. Not at all. Uh, and it's almost as if we have been uh, programmed uh, to accept the reality that we must have an enemy at all times. Right. And if we don't have one, there's something wrong. So we better create one. Uh, it's like when the Cold War was over, I'm thinking, oh, God, now we can breathe. Yeah. And, and we did for a minute. And a we minute. did for about half a second. And then we were at it again. Uh, and it's like, oh, my God. And, and I was thinking about, uh, for example, the uh, the campaign of 2016, thinking, OK, election's over. All right. Now we can breathe. And we didn't even get a chance to breathe. No. You know, no. But it does Do seem that biological. Way. Is it oh. consciousness or biology? Because, you know, I sit at a lot of baseball and a lot of these kids know each other yeah. you know, on the college teams. But when they're fight, you know, when they're you know, but there's this like, ugh. 
in order to win, I've got to be against the other team. And I get it. And I'm not even knocking that because there's sort of like a, an okayness to get your energy up in order to be your best. But we're not supposed to run the world that way. True enough. True enough. We're not. Um, it's just it's just amazing uh, that we just continue down these same silly roads. And uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. And there are days when I just, <laughs> just, yeah. I sit there in utter frustration and going, come on. And then on top of everything else, and this is still part of the same scenario, mind you, of having an enemy and having that angst. And I, if, if in fact it is in the DNA or the chromosomes, then I'm going to seek out somebody who knows about CRISPR and I'm going to have them see if they can remove that from the sequence. That's right. Crisp it out. Um, But it's, it's like with the, uh, the, the, the political divide we have in America. Um, And I I hear, I hear the, and I'll call it rhetoric on both sides. No one yes, is blameless. Is. And when I hear it, uh, the only thing that comes to my mind is, how is this helping to name call? Would you, would you, uh, uh, what you are saying to me with that rhetoric is, I hope the other side all get this virus and die because then the world would be perfect. That's what you're saying with those words. Words have power, don't they? They do. And, you know, and it's interesting because when all this started and, you know, the food shelves were getting empty and my son and his girlfriend were here and I needed food. And one Saturday, last Saturday night, I think it was, I went to a grocery store kind of late, you know, eight or nine. That's late for me. I go, I get up at 430. So I went kind of late. I thought, you know what? I really need a little bit of more, more food. And I went in and they were restocking. There were probably only 10 of us in the grocery store. Do you know how polite everybody was? I didn't, none of us cared if we were Republican, Democrat, you know, old, young, this or that. Like one gentleman and I were staring at the frozen vegetables, which weren't getting restocked. There was a bag of carrots and a bag of broccoli. And he said, why don't you just take whichever one you want and I'll take the other one. There you are. (laughs) That's it. That's how we can be. If we can stay out of that drama or the CRISPR gene or the, the, you know, this sort of, this sort of uh, fix on um, evil, good and evil. You know, if we can get out of that need to have the enemy and the need to be right all the time instead of just being on the same field, I think we can shift this. I, I, but we have yeah. to learn from experience. I mean, and I don't think a lot of people do. Again, when I was in Hawaii a few weeks ago for baseball, there was a gentleman who I think was Vietnamese, which isn't the point. But he was it was at some level because he was he was criticizing the immigrants, you know, the people who want to come in to America from Mexico about how they're this or that. And I'm looking I'm sitting there going, you know, hasn't just about every ethnic group been, you know, called the same names can't we learn from this and just not call people those names? Our own groupings have been called at a different time. Yeah. I thought, can we not learn? Can we not make use of our experiences and not project it onto others? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing as you bring up, and I think it's extremely valid, is that every nationality on this planet sometime in history 
has been abused in some way. So we all have that shared history. Doesn't matter who you are. Nobody has escaped it. Nobody. And you'd think we'd learn that and say, oh, okay, let me have a little empathy for you today because of what you've been through. Because if I didn't go through it personally, my ancestors did, and it was not it was not good. And some of that is still residual garbage still exists. This also brings up another point I want to touch on before we wrap up, and that has to do with the whole concept of duality. And that's really good and evil, you know, having an enemy or, a, or having a friend, you know, that kind of thing. And I struggle with the whole concept of duality these days because I'm tired of the drama. I'm tired of this. And I use the example of the cosmos. Uh, look through the Hubble telescope at the cosmos as things move and, and, and crash and this and that and the other. Supernovas explode and new stars are created. And we sit there ooing and aahing, right? There's no judgment. It's just appreciation, right? You might do the same thing on the micro level, looking through a, uh, a microscope, right? But on this level here where you and I live, there is no ooing and aahing. It's ouch and wow, you know, it's like this is just the way it is. This virus is what it is. It's just trying to survive, just like we're trying to survive. But apparently it can't survive in us without us not surviving uh, or doing well. Um, and and so it's like this is just the way things are. And I don't know about you, Cindy, and I, I've, I've made this comment and I make this very gently to my wife. I make this comment because I know how she feels about this. If today were my day to go, I'm good. Is there more I want to do? I, I'm sub- I've got to live another 40 years because I have to outlive my 100-year-old grandmother who passed after she was 100. I kept telling people I'm going to outlive her and at, at, at when she was 95. And as each year passed, I says, and she's making it really hard. But I've still got another lifetime to go. There's lots I want to do. But, you know, if today's the day, okay. Okay. And there doesn't need to be any judgment. And no. that's the way we need to be living. I'm going back to, with your discussion about um, good and evil, I'm going back to natural order. It's not natural order to have children abused or be hungry. This is not natural order. So I think we do have an innate knowing of what's right and wrong, but it's not about good and evil or me versus you. It's about you know, kind of what sustains like beauty, what sustains the natural order, you know, and if we live in that sort of like, it's sort of like a spiraling flow, it's all good. And the virus yeah. is part of the flow. It, it actually is part of that flow. As frustrating as it might be for some people. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, it is part of the flow. Uh, just like everything else is part of the flow. And uh, there's no judgment in the universe when uh, meteors collide into planets and supernovas explode and create new stars. There's no judgment there. It's just the way that it is. Just like our, our trillions of cells uh, exchange places with a new set of trillions of cells every seven years. That's just the natural order of things. And uh, change is also part of that natural order. That's, I mean, I just described change right there in those two examples. And so it's like, instead of fearing change, instead of being afraid of it and all the other things that we're taught to, we need to embrace it, love it, uh, uh, not just accept it, but but even say, bring it on, bring it on. I can handle it, you know. There was a book that came out many years ago, uh, Cindy, called uh, Who Moved the Cheese? And my, my, boss, <laughs> my boss made me read it. <laughs> And I read it. I didn't want to, but I read it. And I said, I gave him back the copy and I said, look, 
I do not have a problem with somebody moving the cheese. <laughs> I just want them to tell me where they moved it to so I can find it. That's all. That's all I'm asking. Feel free to move it anywhere you want. Just you moved it to Antarctica. Okay. At least now I know where it is. And communicate. And right? Communicate. That's kind of key. The real, the, real, the real irony, Cindy, is in my business of broadcasting, we are the worst communicators with one another. The worst. <laughs> Do you and that's our business. So? Oh, hey, I've had situations as operations manager at other stations where, where uh, um, there were certain things that were supposed to happen. And, well, nobody told me. So, oh, I forgot to send that memo. Okay. Oh. Uh, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> right. like, really? Cindy, before we let you go, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program and sharing your thoughts and ideas, especially about your your latest work on empathy and uh, Llewellyn's little book of empathy available at your website, Cindy Dale. And that is dot com with a C-Y-N-D-I. Uh, I also have um, an invitation for you if you'd like to. We'd love to have you in studio one day if you're out here in the Santa Barbara area once things have settled down uh, to continue a conversation uh, should you be out traveling. I know you're busy, you're international traveler and all that good stuff. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, should you find yourself out here, we'd love to uh, uh, love to have you in studio to, to talk more. I'll do that, and we'll talk audiobooks too, which Ab- would be fun. Absolutely. Uh, before we let you go, also I want to uh, ask you three final questions. You may have addressed them within the context of the interview, but I always like to ask them pointedly. But I also want to tell our listeners, go to cindydale.com, uh, go to the podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, and so many others, as well as supporting us via PayPal and Patreon. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, the three questions that I have for you, Cindy, that I ask all of my guests. Number one, who is Cindy Dale? Oh, a very happy soul. What is That's it? That's who I am. All right. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Connection. And finally, what is your Life's purpose. I think it's the same answer, connection, and helping other souls be happy. Well, Cindy, I thank you again for joining us here on the program, and uh, we look forward to having you back, whether it's via Skype or in person, to to talk more about the work that you're doing. You've written a whole bunch of books people can find on your website, cindydale.com, and and uh, we really do appreciate uh, appreciate you and the work that you're doing. I appreciate you and your work, too, Richard. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who's listening in. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story. Thank you for listening to the program, whether it's the radio or the podcast version, the broadcast or podcast, respectively. But you want to listen to the podcast because it's got a lot more information for you. Until our next podcast broadcast, I'm Richard Dugan. Love to love.